Welcome everyone to the third and final session of this class, uh, Contemporary Shemitah, Challenges and Compliance, Relevance and Rebirth with Rabbi Dr. Shlomo Zukier. Uh, we ask that those joining us on Zoom, if you are comfortable turning your camera on so that we can see your face, have a little bit more of a real classroom feel, please do so. Um, but do please keep your microphone off unless you mean to be sharing your sound with us, you mean to be responding to a question or sharing a comment. Um, Rabbi Zukir will share his source sheet on the screen for your convenience, but I will also pop a link into the chat so that you can open it up make things as large or as small as you prefer. If you're joining us on Facebook, hi, nice to see you. You're welcome to put comments beneath the video. And if you have questions, we'll bring them over here for Rabbi Zukir. And you will also get a link to the source sheet to do with what you will. And if you're joining us on Drisha Live, hi, there isn't really an interactive element yet, but we're still glad that you're here and learning with us, especially we do know that we are competing with a pretty major concert tonight. So kudos to Rabbi Zukir for for standing, standing up for learning uh, on a night of many options in Torah. Uh, and without further ado, Rabbi Zukir. All right, thank you, Noah. And uh, welcome and welcome back everyone for our final session. Um, just to try to situate uh, part three, uh, along with the first two, and we've really been looking at different different aspects of, of Shemitah each time, but with a sort of narrative arc. So we started uh, we started with the general themes of Shemitah and uh, what comes out of the uh, what comes out of the different psukim in, in the Torah and uh, how it's understood by Chazal. We looked at that, and uh, and then we looked at some of the challenges of translating Shemitah in from biblical times and even the time of Chazal to today's agricultural realities. Um, that, was, that was our first session. And then our, our second session, we, we uh, looked in one specific way, uh, the specific, maybe the most, the, let's say the part of Shemitah that gets the most discussion uh, uh, traditionally, which is how does one manage to eat, produce food, et cetera, in the land of Israel uh, once, once uh, Jewish farming returned about 140 years ago. And that's, the long and complex story uh, known as the Heter Mechira controversy, which we looked at. Um, and uh, that's, you know, one specific case, but with, with very broad ramifications of, of you know, great importance to, uh, to Jews over the last 140 years, especially those living in Israel. Today, we're going to look at a whole other range of ways in which people have endeavored to make Shemitah relevant today. Um, that will include aspects of Shemitah of, of not working the land. It will include aspects of Shemitah in terms of uh, releasing loans, and it will we'll tie into a whole variety of themes, uh, the different reasons for Shemitah that we saw in the first class. Just to quickly mention a few of them, the idea of acknowledging that the land uh, belongs to God, uh, ideas of social equality, the idea of having some time to rest and uh, pursue other uh, other goals, not just the daily grind uh, of uh, working the fields, and uh, and also the idea of giving the field itself a rest, and uh, you know providing not just for other people 
but also for animals and even for the land itself, giving some space to land. So all of those themes we'll see will come up in one way or another as we explore a variety of ways in which people try to uh, uh, find relevance in Shemitah today, or even we might even say this is the rebirth of Shemitah, somehow that uh, the themes of Shemitah can be, can be brought back to life or have been brought back to life in a variety of ways. We're going to look at approaches both in the land of Israel, both in Eretz Israel and, uh, and in the diaspora, primarily the U.S. Um, we may give a bit more weight to Israel just because these, these issues are more salient there for a variety of reasons. But we're going to try to look holistically. I, I highly doubt I've managed to pull together every, uh, every single account. I'm sure there's many that are not here, but hopefully there's a, a decent survey, a decent range of different approaches to Shemitah today. And one final preliminary note is uh, I don't think it's my job in this context to, uh, <clears throat> to evaluate these different uh, options. I mean, I'll, I'll throw out some notes and thoughts, but um, you know, I think uh, what our goal will be to examine these as, they're, as they reflect uh, the interest in, in making Shemitah relevant. Um, you know, in a couple of places, we'll see some people who may, who may disapprove or not love all the details of a certain idea, but you know, uh, the goal here is neither to endorse uh, nor to critique these approaches. The main point is to lay them out. And, and it's really a very interesting development to see how, how Jews over the last 140 years, and especially the last few decades, um, have, uh, have been finding Shemitah increasingly relevant, and not only in uh, some of the more classical ways, but also in new ways uh, in a variety of different uh, paths. Um, so I'm happy to take questions with, in terms of the, the preliminary layout of, of things. I don't know if there will be any or not, but uh, also we'll be happy to take questions along the way. Um, okay, so let's jump into the shared screen. And I'll try to make this a bit bigger. Um, hopefully it's visible. Some of the text will be relatively small, a lot, since we're, you know, a lot of different uh, sources, there's a lot of uh, screenshotting instead of copying text. So hopefully that'll work. You also get a bit more of a feel for the material. <clears throat> so our first, the first approach of, you know, you call it alternate, alternative Shemitah or Shemitah that's not uh, the most classical uh, ways of thinking about it, but an, a, a relatively new way that, that really tries to get at uh, the basic concept of, of Shemitah is what's, what we discussed last week a little bit, the Otsar Beitin approach, in terms of what to do with the land and the produce of the land, right? Uh, you know, again, just to rehash last week very quickly, the main question is, should you, the, you know, the main two positions were, should you either sell the land as use some sort of halachic loophole, if it's not owned by a Jew, then maybe the law doesn't apply, or should you just try to import produce from outside the land of Israel or buy produce from Gentiles who live in the land of Israel without this sale? Those were you know, classically, the two main views. In recent years, there's been this approach of Otsar Beitin building on something that really appears in the, in the Tosefta, the idea that, you know, it's prohibited to hoard your produce that you, you know, that you harvest in the Shemitah year. So instead, you should give it to the, be the, the best in the court, and they will give it out. And they, they may have to pay people for the job of handing it out, but fundamentally, it's everyone's to take. Uh, and that system has been set up in Israel the Otsar Beitin that, you know, uh, people, uh, you know, uh, people in agriculture produce the food and uh, it, it usually vegetables. Then the, the Otsar Beitin comes and takes it and distributes it. 
Um, and people pay, they're not paying for the produce, technically they're paying for the work that goes into distributing the produce. So in this way, um, as, as is mentioned here, um, it, it avoids some halachic complications, but actually the, um, the, the fruit that's used, or usually it's vegetables that are used, um, that you eat have the sanctity of Shemitah. You can't throw them out. You have to treat, you know, you have to treat them with dignity. You can't just put them in the general garbage. Even if there are some, you know, scraps, uh, vegetable scraps left, you have to really put them in a special bin uh, and not mix them. So there's, there's a variety of ways in which, and, and when you eat them, you're fulfilling the mitzvah of eating Shemitah produce, um, you know, according to the way the Torah advises that one should do that. So we're not going to spend more time on it because we spent time on it last week, but this, uh, the Otsar Beitin is one way um, one way, you know, uh, in some sense it's traditional because it appears in a text from almost 2,000 years ago, but also it really wasn't much in effect until the last uh, couple of Shemitahs to try to uh, bring back the relevance of Shemitah and treating the, the, the produce with sanctity instead of the various alternative approaches of selling the land or getting produce from outside the land or right, even uh, growing, uh, growing things on raised, you know, things that are not on the ground to try to get around it. This is not working around it. You're, you're directly engaging with, uh, with the, the halach as it's supposed to be um, and trying to use this mechanism to get it to work. So that's one, one such account. And another approach involving the land is, it's, uh, it sounds passive, but it actually involves a lot of work, so to speak, which is not working the land, right? The Torah says in the Shemitah year, don't work the land. So if you're a, a, uh, a farmer living in the land of Israel, you, if you just follow the Torah directly without finding any loopholes, you would just not plow the land. You wouldn't uh, plant new crops. Um, that would be the, the, you know, the way that you most directly followed the Torah's uh, command. So great. So there are some people who do that. What's the problem? Obviously, the problem is they'd make no income for a year. Um, you know, it's not most people can't just uh, not take income for a year and hopefully make it through. So for this is for, for, uh, from really the beginning, from the beginning of Hetemachira and alternate approaches, people have been supporting the farmers who choose not to plant their, their land. Even Rav Cook, I think I mentioned this last week, Rav Cook, who supported the Hetemachira, supported the sale, also supported farmers who chose not to plant their crops. And uh, right, the reason for this is because that this is really the ideal way, if you're a farmer, the ideal way of doing it, not to find some loophole, but to really follow the halacha properly. Um, so how do you, so you know, there, there always were approaches to, you know, attempts to raise money. These exist nowadays and really because of, uh, you know, the way uh, communication and PR works, these really have grown, these pro uh, projects have grown. So I'll show two different groups. One, the adopt a farmer approach of Sulamot. Sulamot is under Reveal Safe for Ramon. We saw a quote from his book just above and last week. Um, he's, you know, he literally wrote the book on Shemitah and probably the most popular book in Hebrew and English about Shemitah, but this is something under his uh, educational institution, they have this approach, adopt a farmer, um, right? What are the goals here? It's both, oops, we'll get to that in a second. It's both an act of chesed to support the farmers and uh, the power of giving and unity. And a lot of farmers are, aren't working the land and the goal is to support them. Even throw in that uh, it's more difficult because of COVID, um, fine and the no overhead, etc. They're looking for donations to support the farmers. Now, and they throw in here, this is interesting, we'll see in a second, it'll get even more interesting, um, right? Uh, to express our deepest appreciation for your sponsorship, we are happy to gift you with the halachic partnership through the, through the Futil Chatit, 
one dunam of Shemitah observant land in Chalutza, southern Israel. Um, and then your halachic partnership during the Shemitah year will enable you and your family to directly fulfill the mitzvah of Shemitah lechumrah, desisting from working the land during the Shemitah year, meaning you're mostly what you're doing, you're taking money and donating it to these farmers who need the support. But as sort of like a fringe benefit, you get gifted this land or some sort of partnership, partial ownership of this land in Israel that's not being plowed, right? So not only is the farmer fulfilling the mitzvah of Shemitah by not working the land that he owns, you now also own land and you're not working it either. Now, this is, this is the uh, Sulamot, the Rav Rimon approach, which really focuses on supporting these farmers with a secondary point that they give you some land. There's this other group called Agudas Shemitah. As you can guess, it's more Haredi, hence the term Aguda, etc. And they say Shemitah for everyone, not a rental, not at least real ownership, right? The, again, the focus here is we will give you ownership of a piece of land for the right price, right? You can purchase land during Shemitah, fulfill the mitzvah of Vishav Taharetz, every moment, um, and the, the Parnasa blessing of Vitzivisi, or truly it should be Vishavsa, they're being uh, Ashkenazis. Anyway, we can work that out another time. Um, but they have a whole list of uh, rabbinic signatories to their approach, and um, right, they talk about the, uh, the way it works. You appoint them as, uh, you know, as the middle person to buy a unit of farmland. They register the land in the Tabu, in the, in the Israeli land authority. You declare the land hefker at the beginning of the year, right? The land is ownerless, just like the Torah says. You don't work the land and then you fulfill the mitzvah, right? So they don't, this, this approach really has nothing to do with the farmers. You're not helping farmers. You, you become a pseudo farmer, right? You become someone who owns land to fulfill the mitzvah. Um, and presumably, I assume that uh, here you get outright ownership. I think it's like, you know, it's like the minimal, the, the minimal amount of land to actually count. So that would be, that would be uh, Arba Amos, right? Uh, for or four, four amos by four amos. So 16 cubic amos, which is, um, what's an ama? Ama is like a foot and a half. So multiply 16 by two and a quarter. And uh, right, so what is that? The, uh, like 40 uh, or 36 cubic amos, something like that. That's a cubic feet rather. That's how much space you get in Eretz Yisrael. And then you fulfill the, um, uh, no, square feet. What am I talking about, right? Square feet. But anyway, that, whatever much it is, you get some, some parcel of land and that's how you uh, that's how you fulfill the mitzvah of shemitah. And um, uh, a friend of mine made the point. I'll, I'll quote it here: Chaim Seiman, uh, a professor of Jewish law, uh, made the point. Right, heter mechira, symbolically sell land to enable persons to grow and sell produce during shemitah. That, of course, is the historical heter mechira. But now we have the agudas shemitah, symbolically sell land to enable persons to not grow and sell produce during Shemitah, right? Because of course, it's not like you actually, you don't own the land for any purposes other than not using it during Shemitah, right? He says, think about that for a moment. It's, about, it's a story about changes in Zionism, halacha, economics, and communal identity over the past 140 years. So definitely there's a lot to think about there. Um, however exactly you frame it, there's really two sides here, uh, two pieces here uh, of how to support this idea of not working the land. One is the Sulamot approach, which is primarily about helping farmers, the farmers who actually have the land, who actually are sacrificing in the sense that they're not making a normal income. They're trying to scrounge uh, together enough money from donations to be able to make it through the year. And uh, that's one approach. And that, you know, it does throw in some land, should uh, but the, you know, the, the focus is there. Whereas the other, the Aguras Shemitah approach is really all about you getting your piece of land so you can personally fulfill the mitzvah. I think other, other Haredi groups also support farmers, but that's 
uh, not as centered in this uh, in this approach. Very interesting. And some, um, you know, some uh, post some of the sizers have said, and not not the ones listed here, not the signatories, but others have said, supporting farmers during the Shemitah year that's that's important. That's a real mitzvah to help them fulfill the mitzvah, right? But uh, buying the land with a loop, you know, with a, just for the sole purpose of not working it, that's a, you know, that, that, that's a shtus or that's sort of not, not the real way to fulfill the mitzvah. But in any event, it's, it's interesting that these are a couple of approaches that are out there. Any questions or thoughts on that? Okay, so we'll move from Shemitah of the land as our focus to now thinking about loans. And uh, right in the Shemitah year, at the end of the year, the, uh, that's how we pass it, it's at the end of the year, all loans are canceled. Now, I think we saw some of these sources in previous weeks. You can, you can imagine how uh, if, if uh, loans after a certain amount of time are canceled, that would, that would uh, scare people off from loaning money, right? Because you know you're not going to get it back if you wait long enough. So you just won't loan in the first place. And this is what led Hillel to institute the Prisbal, to institute the uh, sort of document that, that works around that prohibition, presumably by somehow involving the court. The court is somehow holding your loan, so you're not collecting it, or the court already collected it for you beforehand, and it's just not there yet. Whatever the exact technicalities of it are, um, that's the Prisbal. Now, if you think about it, and I think we've mentioned this as well, Prisbal doesn't fulfill the mitzvah of Shemitah's Safim of undoing loans, of, of releasing money. It just works around it. It renders it irrelevant. It, in a sense, it's it's the it's the original heter mechira. So it's not you know not done by selling the land. It's done through other, other a different workaround, but it's a workaround. It's not really fulfilling the uh, the mitzvah of of Shemitah. So Rav Yol Ben Nun, who's uh, an important uh, thought leader in the Datilumi community, um, was the Rosh Yeshiva of Yeshiva Kibbutzah Datis, an expert in Tanakh. Has a lot of interesting things to say. Um, so he he's supported, and this is from article from a, you know last Shemitah from about seven years ago. He supports the establishment of a Karen Shemitah Safim Behesder Chovot, an institute for releasing uh, monies or undoing loans and uh, reorganizing debts. And uh, we're not going to go through all the details of the proposal, but um, the basic idea is he says the goals are. Uh, we want to bring back to life, to renew, to revive the mitzvah of undoing or releasing money, of undoing loans, right, to the extent that's possible, right? You're not, the goal here is not to ask people to do something impossible because that already is on the books, right? The Torah already says, just give up your loans. If people wanted to do that, they would. But the goal is to be a bit more realistic here. And right? the goal is also not to undermine the necessary principal contracts, because people who actually have loans that are large, and you know, uh, I think people mentioned, you know, if you if you have, let's say, your mortgage in Israel, right? Mortgages are owned by banks. Banks are owned by Jews. The person with the mortgage is a Jew. So they're right. There's that would be the sort of thing. Well, I guess my mortgage ends at the Shemitah year, right? If you did that, no, no one would ever be able to buy a house. It's hard enough as it is uh, in Israel to buy a house. So right, you you need principal much of the time, especially we're talking about large corporations and not poor people who are trying to borrow money. Fine. So, so how do we solve it? You do it by offering loans during the Shemitah year that, that get canceled by the end of the year and become tzedakah. So meaning, 
you know, it's a way of instead of, let's say, someone who you would otherwise give tzedakah to, offer them a loan. And with the understanding that at the end of the year, the loan will be uh, will uh, be dissolved. So that's one piece of it. Now, you might say, well, that's sort of just, you know, is that really changing anything? You would have given it to them as tzedakah, as an outright gift. Now you give it to them as a loan that becomes an outright gift at the end of the year. Have you really changed anything? So I think there's one difference, which is, um, at least in theory, offering a loan, it, the reason why, right, in it's not really uh, well known, but but uh, there's really a big mitzvah of offering loans, interest-free loans, uh, to to one's fellow Jew. Um, in some ways, even a bigger mitzvah than staka. Now you might think, well, it's sort of easier to give a loan than to give staka because a loan you might actually get back. But the the upside of a loan is you're you're at least ideally, you're helping the person get back on their feet. And if they they're able, let's say they get the loan, they they're able to invest or whatever it is, or they're able to, you know, to make it through to the next month and keep working. Um, they'll be able to be on their own two feet and, and the dignity of being able to do that rather than taking an outright gift, there's a real value there. And that, that's the ideal in some sense. It's not always possible, but if you can uh, help someone get on their own feet rather than give them a handout, that is, that is the preferred option. So I think that will be true for Shemitah even more so, right? Both because in general, loans are, are a big mitzvah and especially in Shemitah, you're fulfilling that and the mitzvah of releasing loans. That's one piece. Now there's a whole other piece to this initiative, we're not gonna go into all the details, which is to try not just, you know, in this like, okay, you know, instead of giving someone suck, I gave them a loan and now I feel better because it's also a Shemitah thing, but to try to work systemically to reduce uh, to reduce debt in, in Israel. I mean, uh, you know, there, every, every couple of months, there's a different, um, there's a different documentary in, at least in the US about, you know, people who are in debt and the way they're taking advantage of and the different systems in place that don't really help um, uh, you know, like payday loans and whatnot. I think Israel has the same problem, but probably uh, a larger one, just uh, given, you know, given the way many things work. So the goal here is to avoid that, right? So people who have these massive debts that they're slowly paying off, but it's really eating into their income. So the goal is for to help, it goes into some detail, to help people pay off their large scale loan and to have people donate to this institute that would help cover some of the costs of you know, reorganizing debt, you know, let's say lawyers fees or other things that make it even harder than it should be uh, and with the goal of helping people climb out of debt. And Shemitah year is a good time to, you know, again, technically donating to this group doesn't fulfill the mitzvah of releasing your debt, but it, it's part of that broader goal. So number one, give a loan and release it. And number two, also do uh, donate to this group, to this Karen, this uh, institute that that will as much as possible try to uh, to uh, undo undo or, or fix people's uh, indebtedness. And he says also, it should also be involved negotiation with government, with banks to try to make it easier for people to get out of debt and really to apply pressure uh, to change the system. So it's really interesting. And this is Ravial, sort of his style to take, you know, take the biblical idea, take some of the technical laws, the technical laws and find some way of bridging between them and, and applying it in, in a new world, in a new economic situation, a way of, uh, right, both by technically fulfilling the mitzvah of having Shemitah undo your loan and making it become tzedakah, but also trying to solve a larger problem, which back then, right, where basically everyone had land, unless you were really poor, but getting your land back or, you know, or getting your debts back sort of allowed you to start back at ground zero. In our, in our economic uh, culture, it doesn't really work that way. The goal is to, to accomplish a similar goal. So he put this forward. Other people have similar uh, similar ideas 
Um, there was actually a couple of articles also last Shemitah um, about uh, whether, whether uh, you know, having some version of Hashmatat Halva'ot, undoing loans, is utopian. Is it too utopian and we can't, we can't even try for that? Or no, we should aim for the utopia. So other people have discussed this as well. It's a real question because it's, it's a live issue that's, you know, in Israel. It's like one thing, we're Shemitah of the land. Israel's, Israel's economy, Israel's agricultural economy is doing great. Right, so Shemitah is a problem because right it interferes, it's, it breaks up our uh, our ability to export, etc. That, that's the that's the sense. Whereas here, it's really a different situation in terms of how debt works in Israel. It's not Shemitah that's the problem. I mean, it, and to the extent it is, it's already been worked around with the principle. The real problem is th there are just basic problems in society because uh, because of how hard it is to climb out of debt. So I think that's why there's a fair amount of energy behind this proposal um, coming from a few different people. I don't know if this institute was established exactly the way Rav Yoel wanted it, but I, I think there is some, some uh, momentum behind this. All right, let's move now, unless there are questions, um, to the Israel Shemitah Initiative, or Shemitah Yisraelit, Israeli Shemitah, or Shemitah.il is their website. Um, so this, uh, I think it was, a, it, there, there was an iteration of this last Shemitah, and there's another one this Shemitah, where they say they try to, they basically it's trying to bring awareness of and some degree of observance of Shemitah to the broader Israeli population. And the idea is, you know, if you're Chiloni, if you're not observant in Israel, um, you see that all the Datiyim and Charidim there, you know, keeping Shemitah this way or that way, and what fruits are you eating? And that's, you know, that's sort of what Shemitah is all about. The goal of this project is not, not, not nothing against that, but to try to bring some of the broader values of Shemitah to everyone, including people who aren't traditionally observant and aren't like, you know, don't care if their fruits or vegetables have Kedusha Shviyas or have Truma or Masa, that's just not in their mind at all. But a lot of the themes of Shemitah are things that could be relevant to try to bring that uh, to their attention and to, to allow people to live Shemitah for the year. So we'll just look at some of the initiatives that they have. I think their, um, their website is much more updated. Their English website is, is much more updated from last Shemitah than this Shemitah. I don't know what that says. Maybe I just didn't find the right one, but it's basically the same idea. Um, it seeks to reestablish the Shemitah year as a time of personal reflection, meaningful learning, social involvement, and environmental responsibility in Israel. Uh, right, it, become, it became practical again with the return to the land. There's agricultural stuff, um, but the goal should be thinking about Shemitah as a medium for personal, personal and societal transformation. Our goal is to ensure that every person in Israel knows that the upcoming year is a Shemitah year, and to empower all who seek to bring Shemitah into their lives to do it in a way rel that's relevant and meaningful. Fine. It's a bunch of individuals, NGOs, government officials under Rabbi Michael Melchior, uh, former MK, and sort of a uh, you know a uh, liberal dati uh, of a liberal dati religious persuasion, which you know with the goal of trying to bridge society and also with Teva Ivri. Some of their events, they have a Shemitah conference, a Jewish renewal conference in Knesset. They have different Knesset members speak about it. Um, and they have educational goals. They have a Shemitah in, in academia group uh, trying to bring uh, some, some uh, ideas in, in that uh, context. Agriculture and environment divisions, um, right? Thinking about sustainability, community, and new educational programs. Now, right, you'll notice this is not the same thing as saying we're focusing on Heter Mechira or the Kedusha of the fruits or whatever. It's a whole other set of factors that we're going to see more about in the next few minutes. 
whole other set of factors that they're thinking about. And as I say, attracts wider audiences, right? Not just those who are traditionally observant, but those who care about the environment, let's say, and are curious as to what Shemitah has to say to them. They have different projects in action, including debt forgiveness for thousands of families. Now, again, thousands of families is a lot, but by, you know, by no means solving the whole problem, but it's a step. Um, a Chobavei Shemitah leadership course, municipal Shemitah observance, Bahar being Shemitah Awareness Week. But you can see the goal is to bring awareness of this idea to the broader Israeli society and beyond the standard halachic observances. Um, Rav Yuval Sherlow, also this is from last Shemitah, has, has an article sort of responding to this, uh, this approach. <coughs> and I think I translated a good chunk of it, so I don't think we're gonna read through the whole Hebrew. You're welcome to on your own time. Um, but he says, uh, he mentions here some of the existing suggestions for Shemitah, Israeli Shemitah, uh, right, uh, that they're putting forward. So the JNF won't plant this year, right? The JNF every year plants a bunch of trees, but not the Shemitah year. Instead, they'll focus on beautifying forests, trimming trees, and upkeep, which of course is biblically prohibited, right? All those things you can't do during the Shemitah year, even though it's not, you're not planting a tree, which is also prohibited, but these, these things are, right? Karmachalo, right? Sviach, Tzirkalo, Tixor, all these different things are prohibited anyway, but you know they're, they're not doing A, but they're still doing B. A year of brotherhood among all nations living on the land, emphasizing our shared life with the land that belongs to everyone, cooperation in guarding it and improving it. These are some of the themes from Shemitah Israelit. And he says, so you first you get a positive impression, but on you know your second thought, it's uh, this is revolutionary and for him, not in a good way. God is not present at all in the Israeli Shemitah. It's not tied to the commandments of Shemitah. Um, and uh, right, best case, it's irrelevant. Worst case, it's prohibited. So all of these, all the goals, again, maybe he's making the case a bit stronger than, uh, than you could, but at least the way Roshulo is putting it here, um, so many of these initiatives, they, they may mean well, but they're really going against uh, you know, some of the Torah's laws or, or leaving God out of the picture. So um, he, sort of, he sort of sets that up and in the end he thinks there still is value in engaging in some way. Um, he says the opening of these gates allow us to deal with the question of when to undertake religious renewal and when to undertake reform. Right? And I think what he would say is the Israeli Shemitah approach is reform. They're really trying to you know, say, okay, Shemitah means you, you're allowed to do all these things that previously were prohibited. He would rather see renewal, a renewed interest in the, in the laws without changing them. How can we seek the Torah new in every generation without detaching the chain of tradition? How can we walk across the narrow bridge of tying a commandment to the depth of the biblical command and meaningfulness at the same time? So that's his goal, that uh, everyone can work together. We can have a discussion. The goal is to bridge the gap have it both be meaningful and traditional. So, you know, a bit of a critique of this Israeli Shemitah approach, but also the hope that, that it can work well. And if it works well for Shemitah, then he says he hopes that the discussion about Shemitah will open the door um, for an intensive uh, dealing with all the commandments that are a uh, mate mitzvah, right? A mace mitzvah, which is a, I think is a bit of a joke here or a pun, or usually a mate mitzvah is a person who, who passes away and has no one to take care of them. It's a mitzvah to take care of them. But here, what's dead is the mitzvah. Right, the midst of these commandments are dead because no one knows how to how to follow them. How do you do Shemitah nowadays? So there's and there's other such mate uh, uh, mitzvahs, other such dead mitzvahs that that lack meaning in our days. And the goal should be to find ways to 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 make them meaningful without undermining their actual original goal. To take the original uh, basis and find new ways of applying them. So that's his uh, 
that's his, uh, you know, conciliatory or semi-conciliatory approach. Um, but there is some tension. And this is Rav Shurla, who's very much engaged in Israeli society. He's a very, you know, Dati, uh, Dati Lumi, very engaged uh, student of Rav Cook, you know, in, in his worldview and um, fairly open. And, you know, even he has a fairly critical view. I wonder how much, I wonder how much that, you know, some push, uh, push the Israeli Shemitah initiative into a bit of a different direction because one of their initiatives, this Shemitah, uh, was actually put forward by Rav Rimon. Sounds like a very interesting one. Um, he calls Mezam Hafgarat Sha'ot. We'll talk about that in a second. First, there's a question. What are communal garden areas in apartment buildings in Israel that are owned communally? So communally owned or nationally owned gardens and whatnot, uh, you, you, there are ways of taking care of them, but it's uh, not the standard way. So usually they will not look as well taken care of as usual um, based on the various prohibitions of Shemitah. Um, so I think some government, like I think at the Knesset, they have a sign up that says, you know, apologies are, we look a bit more overgrown than usual and it's because of Shemitah. So some places I think they take into account the laws, um, other places not, but I think, I think your, your standard, uh, your, your standard, uh, you know, secularly owned apartment complex will just treat the, treat the plants as usual. Okay, so here's, here's this initiative that Rav, Rav uh, Ramon suggested which means rendering the, your hours ownerless, right? You're supposed to be mafkir your land in Shemitah, render your land ownerless and your fruits ownerless. And uh, for those who don't have land and fruits, maybe you should render your hours or at least some of your hours ownerless. He starts off by saying that uh, one of the goals of Shemitah based on the Ramah is to have mercy and uh, grace towards all people. And, you know, he raises the question, well, if it's just about being nice to people, why not just give them stuff? Why do we need to make everything ownerless? Why not just give people stuff? Uh, that, that's a way of showing grace towards them. And the answer is, and we discussed this previously, it's not just, it's not like, oh, I, uh, I have a lot of, uh, you know, a lot of land and a lot of produce, and I will give you some fruits and vegetables. Doesn't that, you know, doesn't that make you feel great? Well, no, it doesn't make you feel great because it, it sort of, uh, you know, it, it uh, instantiates this hierarchy where I'm the one giving you and you're, you're the lowly recipient, and that doesn't feel so great. Much better is to, for the Torah to say, actually all land is ownerless and everyone can use everything. That actually creates social equality. So how do we translate that today? Um, so he says, right, we're calling with this uh, uh, rendering hours ownerless that calls to everyone in the country. Right, old, young, men, women, rich, poor, or middling, everyone can participate in this. And it, you know, that, that has that sense of equality that you hoped, that you would hope to get from uh, rendering the landowners. Everyone in Israeli society should spend an hour giving to the community. And he says, there'll be some website. We'll see the website in a second. Um, you sort of write down what you're committed to and, and uh, that will be a good way of giving back. Jumping to the end, the Shemitah year, the land gets its rest. So it's like a green, you know, green earth sort of thing. The social world should also be strengthened. And the Israeli society should be blue and white, right? So the, the nature is green and Israeli society should be more blue and white. And realize its character. So that's the idea in theory, and they set up this website to uh, 
carried out more in practice. I'll, we'll use the English just because it's a bit easier. <coughs> what is an hour of Shemitah? Imagine your community, geographic, professional, or virtual, where every week everyone takes a break from work for an hour, an hour of chesed, hour they give back to those who need. Young people clean the house for older people. Elderly people read for young children. A group of children clean a different corner of their town. A teacher offers personal or group lessons for free. A lawyer will take care of legal documents for those who could use the help. An electrician offers electric work, etc. A yoga teacher offers an hour to varying groups. I don't know. I don't know yoga well enough to know, but I wonder if someone might say, well, just one hour, then what can you do in an hour? But uh, maybe you'll get them interested in taking more yoga classes. I don't know. But uh, the idea here is really a, a beautiful one, right? I mean, and, and there's no pretense that this fulfills a specific mitzvah of Shemitah, but the idea is it, it fulfills the, the concept, the broader concept of Shemitah of creating, uh, creating equality across society, having people help each other in everyone's hour. It's not like anyone's hour is better than anyone else's. Everyone offers what they can and it helps. And they also mentioned the option that you can request certain things, certain goods or services, right? So maybe what people are offering is actually going to be useful to other people. But it's a really a beautiful idea, and I, and I think it's ado- it was adopted by this uh, Shemitah Yisraelit. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's an interesting. I guess we'll see how it how uh, how it develops. I think this is the first time they're they're offering that project. Um, I see there was another question um, about planting trees applying to those that don't bear fruit. Um, it's a bit more complex, I think. But I yeah, but uh, there are still some limitations on on all all grooming of the land. So even like flowers and that sort of thing, it's not, yeah, it's not like you can just uh, do what you want. Um, is there a measure, John is asking, is there a measure of popularity or relative popularity of these proposals? Um, certainly not for this one, because it's new. Um, volunteering wouldn't be equal among income demographics for sure, right? I mean, the idea is for it to be equal, or you can't impose this on people. And people who, you know, people who have more spare time will be able to participate more than people who don't. Um, and, uh, yeah, but I, yeah, I don't know. I think it'd be an interesting question to see, to see how that goes. I think for all these proposals, you know, the goal is to reach every Israeli. Yeah. They probably end up reaching a, fr- a fraction of the Israeli population. Um, and I, I don't know, it's a good question if they're keeping numbers, if they're keeping numbers on it, but I think for, for our purposes, I mean, it, you know, it's an interesting sociological fact, how many people, you know, uptake these proposals. I think what's, what's maybe most interesting is, is like, how are people thinking about Shemitah? And how are people, what are the new directions people are taking Shemitah in, in trying to find its relevance? But yeah, um, um, okay, yeah, good, uh, good questions. And now we'll turn to, and there's, there's a fair amount on this, um, environmental concerns. We saw that a little bit earlier in the Israeli Shemitah, but there's a whole bunch, a whole host of approaches that focus on the environment and take Shemitah as their jumping off point. But before we go there, any other questions? Okay, so I'm going to be drawing uh, fairly heavily from this article by David Krantz, Shemitah Revolution, the Reclamation and Reinvention of the Sabbatical Year. And uh, you know, a good chunk of the article presents some of the classical sources about Shemitah, biblically, rabbinically, etc. But um, then it goes into a lot of the different ways that Shemitah has been um, uh, you know, used by, by people focusing on the environment and, and various other things over the last few decades, um, right, really across the board. And uh, yes, yeah, so we'll take a quick look at, at some of the themes there. 
Um, sorry, let's try to find the right place. Yeah, here. So he says, much of 20th century Shemitah observance became a, became a question of Kashrut for Orthodox and ultra-Orthodox in Israel, little to no importance for anyone else, right? Israel's secular majority, you know, it's not really, it's not really too relevant. But once you get to the modern period, people start, you know, over the last few decades, people started really thinking about it in interesting ways. Um, he mentions the article by uh, Gerald Blitzstein that we saw two weeks ago. Um, that uh, right, we'll look at the quote here. Man must relinquish that which his human capacities, uh, capabilities have achieved, and in his use of the growth of the soil, be reduced to the lowest creatures that live off the soil. Right. So people are like animals equally uh, in their use of soil. Man must live the rhythms of nature, despite his obvious ability and duty to circumvent them. Must live the rhythms of the countryside, despite the city in which he dwells. So that's um, right. So that's uh, that was a big turn conceptually. Someone to really think about how Shemitah is countercultural, And then the, uh, the next step to really focus on the environment and uh, really as an activist movement and see that in Shemitah and Yovel, he ties to Rabbi Arthur Waskow, um, uh, unofficial patriarch of the modern Jewish environmental movement. And he actually says he was inspired to start doing this uh, with the assassination of Martin Luther King. He took that as like a wake up call to focus on his Judaism and his activism. He had previously been a liberal activist. And he, after that, he used Judaism as a more central uh, piece and he got ordained as a rabbi, uh, et cetera. So he talks about, um, you, he focuses on, on uh, the idea of Yovel and he says, there's no way to achieve equality unless you accept that no human really owns the wealth, not even the proletariat, not even the people as a whole, which of course is the idea of Shemitah that God owns the land and uh, people have to be limited in how they treat it. Wasiel says that's the only way to get to real equality. Um, and he also thinks it can address economic disparity um, and uh, in terms of uh, uh, solving the wealth gap, et cetera. Um, he is focused more on Shemitah than on Yo uh, more on Yovel than on Shemitah, which is interesting. Um, but then if we look at this uh, activist, Richard Schwartz, who wrote Judaism and Global Survival, he focuses a bit more on Shemitah per se. He says, while Judaism teaches about a sabbatical year in which the land is allowed to lie fallow and recover its fertility, and farmers may rest, learn, and restore their spiritual values, today under economic pressure to constantly produce more, farmers plant single crops and use excessive amounts of chemical pesticides and fertilizer, thereby reducing soil fertility and badly polluting air and water. I Meaning he's really focusing on how do you treat the land? How do farmers usually treat the land? Not well, because they're trying to exploit it. What does Shemitah tell us? Shemitah tells us, well, the land should get to rest. And as we saw a couple of weeks ago, that is one of the themes of Shemitah that, that are mentioned uh, among the different uh, biblical commentators, right? It's about, even the Rambam mentions it, it's about giving the land the chance to rest. Um, so Richard Schwartz comes and uh, reclaims that idea in, in light of contemporary uh, environmental thought. And uh, even more recently in December, 2010, Rabbi David Seidenberg created this Shemitah covenant um, right, seeing Shemitah as really central. And here's the, their, uh, the basic uh, theme here. The goal and purpose of the, of the Torah covenant for society as a whole is that the Israelites will observe the Shemitah year. Now, that's a strong claim, right? The main point of the Torah is Shemitah. I don't think that's a standard view. It's a, maybe a bit of a focus, hyper-focus on Shemitah. And that in doing so, they'll repair the relationship with the earth that was destroyed in the generations leading up to the flood. Right, so part of the goal of this covenant of the Torah is to fix people's relationship to the land. This is a novel reading of uh, the Torah's covenant. Essentially, the covenant with Abraham is meant to take one people in one land, 
put them in a right relationship with each other to create a model for how humanity should live. This is found in the observance of Shemitah and Jubilee. And he said similarly when he gave a Dvar Torah on Bahar, which of course has a discussion of Shemitah, um, only in a society where property does not designate the right to use up what one owns, but rather a more fleeting relationship with what one cares for, can people learn the true meaning of justice. Only then can people share their wealth, nurture the poor, relieve debts and hunger, etc. Basically, if you have a proper relationship to the land, and uh, namely realizing it's not yours, then you can have a functional society. If not, then society won't be able to function well. So this is a, a strong claim. Again, these, you know, these thinkers looking at now are environmentalists. That's sort of their central understanding of Judaism and the central to their activism overall. Um, so you know, it's not surprising that uh, you know, they'll give this reading, but it's an interesting way to see how Shemitah and to some degree Yovel are, are invoked and are, are uh, sort of redeployed uh, in our world. And uh, among, among the different things, there's a move to Shemitah Seders, um, right? So um, uh, 2013, prior to the previous Shemitah, so Merrill Goldsmith developed the first Seder, prayer book or service for Shemitah. And uh, originally was for a day of using, but maybe they, they made some follow-ups to it. It's based on the number four, right? Like the Seder. So there's four aspects of Shemitah. Shemitah as ritual, Shemitah as rest for the land, Shemitah as release of debt, and the end of Shemitah Hakel. We didn't mention this previously, but um, as it's understood based on, uh, the Torah says that at the end of Shemitah, you gather the whole people together, Hakel, um, every seven years, and everyone, when they read the Torah together, and it's a, a wonderful moment of, of communal solidarity around Torah. So that's one of the themes as well, right? Shemitah as ritual, rest for the land, release of debt, and Hakel. Um, and uh, right in the Jewish environmental movement really took Shemitah as a central event and they had a whole conference around it in November 2010 and um, how, right, the goal, the goal is to discuss how Shemitah could inform the work of the Jewish environmental movement and they had the following Shemitah values, holistic sustainability that's beyond humans, land and community stewardship, psychological release and dignity, leveling the economic playing field, preventing cycles of poverty, engaging long-term thinking, developing deep connections with Earth's rhythms, thinking about the common good versus the individual good, scarcity versus abundance, cooperation versus competition. You'll notice some of these themes really have very strong biblical roots. Some of these are you know, a bit uh, more tenuous, but all of them serve um, the, you know, the current environmental movement. And uh, so you know, to see that, you know, they, and they're seeing these themes as re represented by Shemitah, and uh, trying to take it forward. And then there also was a discussion on how Shemitah could be used as a framework for the Jewish environmental movement, <coughs> um, which includes holding a Shemitah-themed event or activity every Shabbos, someone, a group could commit to that, ceasing all programmatic events during the year. Now that's creative, right? That would be good. I could start an organization that's, uh, you know, the organization for Shemitah, and just, we wouldn't hold events um, because, uh, because of Shemitah. But I think, I, I think that wasn't taken up actually, but. It's an interesting idea. Um, you can understand why an organization wouldn't follow that path, right? It's sort of self-defeating. But anyway, increasing organizational financial transparency, improving gender parity, working with secular and non-Jewish anti-slavery and debt release organizations. And then finally, and the one that was actually accepted, developing a branded but decentralized year-long program of reflection, evaluation, celebration, and study. So that was that final approach was taken up. Again, these aren't mutually exclusive, just for a variety of reasons. The other ones weren't. And, uh, but this was an approach that was led uh, actually by Chazon's Shemitah project. 
that they took care of two years ago. We'll look at that in more depth in a moment. Um, but first, just Shemitah beyond Judaism. Interesting piece of this. Um, and we'll see another one, another aspect of that in a couple minutes. But the influence of Jewish environmental work on Shemitah has reverberated beyond the Jewish environmental movement, and especially in terms of debt forgiveness. So, um, right, so many de uh, debt forgiveness campaigns inspired by Shemitah and Yovel were developed after the financial crisis of 2008, and some even earlier. And um, so they have different different movements, like the cancellation sorry, uh, right, the cancellation of more than $100 billion of debt from the 35 poorest countries, known as Jubilee 2000, right, from a British group that did that. So obviously that's inspired by biblical uh, Yovel or, and or Shemitah. I mean, it's more Shemitah than Yovel if you're talking about uh, money, although land going back is maybe, uh, you know, more momentous economically. But then there are a whole bunch of other groups, Jubilee Debt Coalition in the UK, Jubilee USA, campaigns in 30 countries, all in this direction. And um, somehow uh, South Park made it into this article. So uh, South Park also had this, this uh, an episode on debt forgiveness, um, parodying the story of Jesus, where Stan redeems the people of South Park by paying off all their debts, taking those debts on himself. Um, uh, there, there actually is a whole interesting discussion to be had, the thought of, of debt as a metaphor for sin. We've discussed this in some earlier series. Um, but uh, right, that you know, these are these are related ideas. Um, sin can be seen as debt. Um, uh, uh, good deeds can be seen as merits. But that's for another time. In any event, we see the broad-ranging significance of this. Um, no, it's a good question. We'd have to really go back. Um, yeah, I also wonder if it's the first time it made it into uh, you know, like an academic article in the study of religion. Although probably not. Um, but fine. Um, let's look at some some resources that that, uh, that Chazon has. Chazon, maybe the leading Jewish uh, environmental organization. This webpage they have a variety of resources that comes from their their Shemitah project from last Shemitah. So they mention here they developed and compiled a collection of educational resources about Shemitah for you to utilize within various educational settings. <clears throat> the three main publications that are developed by the Shemitah project are the Shemitah source book, which is available online, actually very useful, a lot of going through a lot of traditional sources. And then at the end, some more environmental things, you know, with the goal of bridging them. Um, Shabbat HaAretz, which is Rav Cook's, uh, or at least the introduction to Shabbat HaAretz, Rav Cook's book about Shemitah, translating the introduction, not all the halakhic details, but at least the introduction, and then envisioning sabbatical culture, a new work and a Shemitah supplement, etc. It's all available online. You can get it at this link, um, but uh, interesting. And right, they have core Shemitah texts, they have Shemitah principles, and then Shemitah values and ethics. That's, I think, the more novel piece of it. And what sort of values and ethics um, do, uh, do they see in Shemitah? So we'll look at a few of those now, Shemitah values and ethics, uh, to get a sense of, of how Chazon, and again, it's really representative of a bunch of different environmental, Jewish environmental organizations, how they, how they go about this. Um, right, so they say Shemitah cycle presents a cultural system rooted in local food security, right? That makes sense. If you can't sell produce, you need local food. Economic resiliency, that's also clearly true, right? You, you uh, need to be able to last without planting and, and uh, tending to the land for a year, so you need resiliency. And community empowerment, people working together communally. The first step in reaching towards this holistic and wide-ranging vision is in exploring shared ethics and values. What's the operating system of the Shemitah paradigm, the source code? design businesses, community centers, schools, governance, aligned with the Shemitah vision. 
right? The more we have a common language, the easier the process is. If we were to create a society grounded in equality, fairness, creativity, and abundance, what values do we need? And they say there's 18 values that they come up with. Um, and uh, right, we're not gonna go through all of them, but they're all here. Um, hunger, resiliency, et cetera. Mutual and trust, abundance, generosity, reskilling, reclaiming our society. Again, this is a case where some of them really uh, have clear biblical roots and some of them more tenuous biblical roots, but, at, uh, but are, are more clearly needed today uh, from, from the perspective of those who are environmental activists. So let's take a look at a few of the values just to get a bit of a taste for new, new directions in Shemitah. So homegrown resiliency. Shemitah is not something we're all keeping on separate schedules and calendars, right? It'd be a lot easier if every year a seventh of society didn't work. Right? That would be a lot easier, right? Because, okay, so you take it easy that year and you work a bit harder the other years and the economy overall doesn't crash because there are other people working. No, it's all the same year. Shemitah affects all of us at once. We're in this rhythm together. Practices of Shemitah paradigm revolve around peer-to-peer -peer relationships. They take place in the communal stage, home, street, and shared spaces. Um, our ability to celebrate the cycle in abundance will depend on grassroots efforts, collective action, and community organizing. Right? How well can we work together, rely on one another, etc.? It's about creating an extended family, a, a village culture, a sensitive tribe. Um, you can get a sense here there's a anti-individualist, uh, anti-neoliberal theme in the background here. And uh, so that's, you know, that's one theme that comes out of Shemitah. Um, another one, local health, local culture, right? Principles of Shemitah stress locality, large scale markets closed down, food can't be exported, reliance transfers to community systems, um, investing in local community efforts, designing for solutions to meet local needs, et cetera. And then, right, that's sort of what Shemitah is. And then it, there's like, in both of these, they say at the end, okay, now here's what you can do. Strengthen local food production and distribution systems. <coughs> Support the preservation of local wildlands. Support local education, art and health systems, et cetera. Um, and then a third, a third approach here, embracing the wild. Shemitah paradigm is a covenant with the wild around us and within us. Honor land and soil, cultivate the uncultivated, undomesticated wild growth, align our values and ethics with preservation, conservation, respect for wildlands. This is, of course, a central, uh, a central theme of the environmental movement. And uh, right, the idea is Shemitah is behind this. We saw, as I mentioned, this, the Ramam points to this uh, to some degree. Nature itself is not other, right? We're, we're part of nature. We're integrated with nature. We need to invite to form truly intimate and interactive relationships with the wild that supports us. Uh, we're asked to harvest with respect, humility, and honor. Be creative and careful about the patterns of consumption. Don't waste or pollute use renewable sources, et cetera, right? Learn the gifts of the wild for foods and medicines. Um, that's a, right, uh, a, a, bit, a, bit, a bit of a different angle there at the end as well. So this is a, another theme, also very interesting. Um, you know, certainly some aspects of it are, are clearly based in Shemitah and some, you know, a bit more of a, of a reach. And then this last one, which I think is interesting because I think of all the, all the um, Shemitah, initiatives that I've seen, no one has really stressed this, but it is here on the Chazon theme, and we saw it a couple weeks ago, the idea of release and faith, right? Shemitah, Shamot, let go. So letting go mean, it means letting go in the technical sense, right? Like don't control your land and, and don't control your produce and let it go and let people take it or let go of your loans, right? Loans that are due to you. But it also means to let go more broadly, to just like not be so hung up about it. 
and to trust in God, have faith in God to, to allow you to make it through the year, right? As the Torah itself says. So <clears throat> they, uh, le- they, you know, they double down on this. They don't avoid this idea of, of uh, faith like, like a lot of other approaches. They say, in all honesty, what Shemitah asks from us as individuals, individuals and community is powerfully challenging, not just because it's hard, because it directly shifts our relationship with food, land, and money, foundations for a sense of survival, s- stability, security. There are natural, genuine questions to ask about this year. What will we eat? Right, That question is in the Torah. How will we make money? These questions talk about, touch upon deep areas of sensitivity and vulnerability. It's in the soil in which the seeds of our transformation may take root. We haven't lived this Shemitah cycle for many generations. There are endless questions without clear-cut answers. Walk into mystery, into the unknown, with humility, with sacred vulnerability. It's okay to not control. Shemitah means release, to find ways to begin releasing the sense that you must have the answers, that you must be in control. Find ways to offer genuine surrender, letting go of the gifts of Shemitah, into the gifts of Shemitah that may be waiting for you. Allow fear to blossom into the possibility for your own evolution. So it's interesting. I mean, it's uh, the theme of, of faith is definitely there. There's this, this account of it, I think, is less uh, God-centric, a um, uh, point Rosherlo made in a different context, but it's more about just you know, embracing the unknown, uh, maybe a bit of a more, uh, uh, I don't know, like a touchy-feely sort of uh, feel to it rather than a God-centric one. But again, this is the only account I've seen in the, in the renewed Shemitah to really focus on this idea of faith or letting go. I didn't see too much of it elsewhere, which is, you know, which is, uh, which is interesting and maybe telling. And now we'll just look at the last, very quickly, a last theme, uh, academic sabbatical, which, you know, this is not new. This has been around for, ironically, look at this, in the last two decades of the 19th century. It's been around for 140 years, just as long as the Heter Mechir has been around, right? So I don't know if I were a Kabbalist, I'd make some bigger deal out of that. Um, but uh Right, but the academic sabbatical, I, I think, is interesting, not because it's new, but because uh, it's, worth, it's worth thinking about as a paradigm, even, even though you know, people haven't embraced it to such a great degree. Well, the idea of an academic sabbatical is, uh, right, for, for academics, you know, you teach every year and you're supposed to be doing research too, but to get a chance to sort of pull out, pull back from the day-to-day grind of teaching and be able to focus more on the research and anything on this account of it, this article says the at least originally the idea is it's supposed to pay dividends. It's supposed to be better in the end. Just like you leave land fallow, it ends up producing more in the long run. Same thing here. You leave your academics, uh, you know, you, you let them off for a year, they'll be more productive in one way or another. That's one way of thinking about it. Another way of thinking about it is just there's value in taking a break and focusing on other pursuits, other fields, other areas. Um, so I didn't find this in writing, but um, Two Shemitahs ago, I, I heard a shear from Rabiul Ben Nun. We saw an article from him earlier where he argued he wanted to Im- Im- introduce this to Israeli society as a whole. Maybe hard to do it formally, but to have an option, let's say, at least for government jobs where everyone gets off every seventh year. Right? It's part of your, like, to just build it in to all government jobs, to get off every seven years to be able to learn, reflect, and uh, just, you know, try new things. And uh, we saw this is one of the themes of Shemitah overall. Um, he wasn't suggesting that everyone do it the same year, right? Obviously, if everyone took off work in Israeli society in the Shemitah year, the economy would crash. So that would not work. Um, but if you would, if you stagger it, you know, it's not, you know, maybe it would decrease GDP a little bit, but maybe it would actually be more productive, even for GDP, but certainly for, uh, for people's being able to live, being able to think about life and enjoy it and appreciate God in the world. 
So that was Raviola's approach, again, on the pattern of the academic sabbatical. The academic sabbatical itself is explicitly based on Shemitah. That's why it's called a sabbatical, uh, taking off this every seventh year. Uh, as this article, there's a couple articles that lay out the, the parallels uh, explicitly and the, the historical connections. So that's a final, a final approach that I don't think is too well-trodden, but I think there's room for more and, and some have started to think about Shemitah as, uh, as a sense of renewal. Um, okay, so we, had, we, saw, we saw versions of, uh, versions of Shemitah, renewed Shemitah that relate to the land in various ways, that relate to loans, that relate to just relate, dealing with others generally, and this idea of having a break, a uh, break from, uh, from your work, and uh, in terms of uh, dealing with uh, you know, an environmental angle, dealing with, with uh, the land as, you know, as, in, as uh, an interactive being. Um, I'm sure there's other things too, but I think this gives a, a bit of a sense, a bit of a taste of how, uh, how people apply Shemitah nowadays. It's not all the, uh, the tragedy of Shemitah, the halachic tragedy that Rav Lichtenstein mentioned that we saw two weeks ago, where nothing applies. There are different ways um, in a whole variety of areas to get some of the themes of Shemitah, even if a lot of what, uh, what was there is missing. So I'll take any questions now if there are. And if there aren't questions now, everyone's, of course, welcome to uh, shoot me an email uh, always uh, on these topics or others. And uh, thank you all for learning together these last three weeks. And uh, everyone should have a wonderful uh, rest of the Shemitah. Thank you, Rabbi Zakir, for this wonderful class. Um, and I would like to remind everyone that uh, there is more to come. Shemitah is not over and Drisha is not done with Shemitah. So if you would like uh, to join any of our other classes on Shemitah, you are welcome to visit our website and sign up there, join in. We have a lot of different angles that we're observing Shemitah through. And if you just, you really can't stand the thought of not being with Drisha on Sunday nights, do know that next week on Sunday night, 7 p.m. Eastern, so a little bit earlier, the Renee and Alexander Bow Memorial Lecture will be given right here, right here on Zoom. And that is not on the topic of Shemitah. It is titled, Does Jewish Law Recognize Righteousness? I can't answer that question for you. So if you want the answer, maybe come back next week. You can click the link in the chat to sign up, learn more, whichever order works better for you. And please be well. We look forward to seeing you again soon.